Good to see all of you here this morning. We uh, Apparently it was V-neck Sunday for our staff. So Cody over here, we're both matching apparently today. Brown shoes, blue jeans, and somewhat of a gray V-neck. That was not part of the plan, So, but I noticed that. So, Well, as Bruce said, we are in the middle of a message series called Enjoying Life Together. And we've been looking at what it takes to really enjoy relationships. Not just in, in your home or on the job, but in the broad spectrum of relationships that you have, how, what does it take to make relationships work? What is it that I need to do on my end to contribute to healthy relationships? In church life especially, this is important. Definitely you can apply this to all the other arenas of relationships, but what we're looking at specifically in this message series is how does this apply to us? as we get together, as we relate in groups, as we interact with each other as a, as a church family, as we attend on Sundays? What are the values that, I guess, keep us connected? What are the things that are the boundaries for us? These seven core values that we're looking at provide guardrails for our relationships. It keeps us from running off the edge ourselves, um, keeps us from hurting each other in relationships, and it does not protect from all pain, but what it does is when things go sour, it, it builds into um, our church body um, an opportunity to get it, get it straightened out. So we're, we're, we're really looking at all seven of our heart attitudes, and these are commitments that we ask our members to make. Uh, but look at the first two. We've already discussed these previous weeks. first one is based in Philippians chapter 2, and it's this it says, Put the goals and interests of others above my own. This is a high value for our church. Very high value. We, we make uh, it our aim as a, as a body, as a church family, to do this. To say, people in this room, people in my group, their needs, <clears throat> I need to aim to put their goals and their interests ahead of mine. We all have goals and interests, every single one of us. We have a long list. And we prioritize in our mind what we're going to do, what we want to do. What this means is that their goals and interests, as I relate to them, need to be a priority. And, and honestly, this is a real struggle. Now, that may seem extreme and radical, but that's straight out of the Bible. Philippians chapter 2 talks about this. It says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. That's where we base that um, heart attitude, that value upon. The second heart attitude is live an honest and open life before others. The key character quality that this action step does is it promotes the, the quality of truth. Truth. Putting truth holding up the truth, living as a truthful person before others. Um, we all have the native tendency to be secretive and to be private and to wall ourselves off, to isolate ourselves from others. And so when we step into a church setting or into a small group, it's very easy to present to the group a person that's not really true, kind of like a plastic version of you and like the perfect person you can present. And so um, what we do is we make a commitment to, to not play games in relationships, but to live an honest and open life before others. So we want people to actually get to know us. We try to avoid deception as we relate. We looked at this verse briefly last week. It's Ephesians 4.15. Paul says, he says that in church life, this is what's to happen. Speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head. That is Christ. So Christ is actually kind of, he is the one that our lives were aiming to become like. He's the mature He's the picture of maturity. 
All of us wrestle and struggle to become mature, but in our involvement in church life, one of the things that helps us grow up is learning to speak the truth in an environment of love, like being truthful with each other, living open and honest life before others. So we looked at this verse last week. We really need truth in church. We need to operate with certain level of truth that I that that we can be known, that we can know others. And it has to happen in a loving environment. The loving environment is what allows people to trust enough to open up. If you don't trust a group of people, then why would you bother sharing truthfully with them? Because you're afraid you're going to get hurt. And so the loving environment, it, it establishes the atmosphere or the baseline for why we think we should do that. Without the truth, what happens is we don't see our blind side and it puts us at risk. And this is really the focus of this morning. The idea of we all have a blind side. An area of our life that we're unaware of that is there. It's causing us harm, but we're unaware of how it's hurting us and how it's hurting others. Um, I'm going to show you a picture here. Football picture. You see the quarterback. The quarterback, typically the highest paid player on an NFL football team. He, 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 he makes the big plays happen, you know. If you don't find the right guy, you, you trade him, you get the right guy. He's the highest paid player. Okay, he's, he's the most important player of the football team as well. And <clears throat> the second highest player is this guy. Go back to that other slide, the first one. The second highest player is that guy right in front of him. He's not always the second highest, but usually it seems to be that the second highest player is the left tackle. He's the offensive blind side. He's basically watching the blind side for the quarterback. I, I didn't play football growing up, but for those of you that did, you know, you know how important it is to protect the quarterback. You know, the defensive, you know, or basically the opposing team is going after the quarterback. And the quarterback, he's looking for his receivers. He's looking for his play. He does have a blind side, and so without his his lineman protecting him, he his his blind side is wide open. And so this person's job. Look at the next slide. You can see a little more how he's definitely needing the protection of his, his, his left tackle. Quarterback's the highest paid, and so the reason this guy is so important to left tackle is because he's protecting the highest paid player on the team. A hit on the quarterback can take, you know, the right kind of hit on a quarterback can take him out of the game completely. You've seen it on Sports Center. You know, we watch the big hits and things like that. You can serve. I was looking for a good high quality big blindside hit, but I couldn't find a good one. So I just got some photos for you. But the same is true for us when we're driving down the road. We have blind spots. We call them blind spots. We're driving down the road. And I don't know about you, I have a bad habit of being a, a front seat or back seat driver, but I hate it when people do that to me. And I'm driving, and someone starts you know, nitpicking my driving or telling me what's coming up. And I'm like, I already know. I'm not you know, I'm out for a pleasure cruise. I'm, I'm driving. I have a destination in my mind. I'm focused. But, you know, someone's saying something, and then it gets on my nerves. What doesn't get on my nerves is when someone says, look out, and I'm about to turn into my blind spot, and, you know, someone's there. I've been saved a few times from people who've paid attention to my blind spot when I'm driving. See, the truth is we all have patterns of our life that hurt us. We have patterns and habits that hurt our friendships. They're currently hurting our families. They stall progress towards our goals. We have certain goals we're trying to accomplish. And we can't see what those things are because they're in our blind side. There's these things that happen that we do that we're unaware of, but other people see. 
We actually need this type of an individual, an offensive blindside person protecting us from the things that are harming us and hurting our lives. We need people who will love us enough to say, hey, I've got your back. I'm watching out for you. I love you enough to say the truth, to speak up. So if you look at the top of your listening guy, this is what we're going to look at together, is this whole idea of loving correction. The hard attitude, if you flip over the back of your listening guide, it tells you what the hard attitude number three is. So it's give and receive scriptural correction. That's what we're going to be looking at. But take a look. At the top it says this. At the top of your listening guide, you fill in the blank. It says, love should guide us to offer true encouragement to others. Love should, off, should guide us to offer true encouragement to others. Hebrews 3.12 and 13. Hebrews is a book that in many ways links the Old Testament and the old laws and the covenant of God to his people to the new covenant in Jesus. So the book of Hebrews is making a lot of Old Testament, New Testament connections for us. And so the writer says this. He says, see to it, brothers. This is written to the church. This is written to people who are headed to heaven. That's their destination. But he says this. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the, wicked, or from the living God. Pause there for a second. Just read through that. For, see to it, brothers, that none of you, he's talking to the whole group, has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Now, we can apply this in church life. See to it, OCC, that none of you... Now, he's not just saying our concern is to be guarding the condition of our own heart, but we are to be concerned with the heart condition of each other, is what this verse is actually talking about. He's talking about pay attention that none of you, this group, don't just be concerned about how's my heart, which is important, definitely. Be concerned about the condition of your heart, but he's saying don't stop there. Show concern for each other. Then he goes on and says, verse 13, But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Our hearts can get hardened. We can lose the soft and tender side of our hearts that, are, that keep us open to what God has to say, to His ways, to His will, His plan. Our heart can get hardened against those things to where we Harden towards his things and we open up to our own opinions, the ways of the world. Sometimes people come to Christ. What I've seen is they come to Christ and when they don't change or their life doesn't change, their perspective doesn't change, it's very easy for them to just give up and decide, you know, this whole Christianity thing, it's not working or it didn't work. And they harden, their heart hardens and they slowly, their the deceitfulness of sin begins to pull them in a new direction, kind of pull them back to where they started. The background of this passage is from the Old Testament. The Israelites in the Old Testament, what the writer of Hebrews is referring to, and you get this from the context of this whole passage, is the Israelites at one point were on the edge of the promised land. God had promised them a land. God made this promise to Abraham and said, I will give you this land. And so the Israelites were finally there. They're on the edge of the land, but they would not claim the land. They were afraid and they refused to step out in faith. They didn't have the courage to claim what God had promised to them. And so they, they stood on the edge of the land. They did not. And their heart was really hardening. And that was one of the things that the writer of Hebrews says in the previous verses. They were a group of people whose hearts had hardened. And he says, if, if that's happening to you, don't let it happen. Don't let your heart harden towards the things of God. The same can be true of us. Modern day. God makes some promises for those of us who follow Christ. But we actually have to step out in faith. We have to trust God. We can't allow sin's deceitfulness to, to create this hardening of, of 
us being responsive to God. Every one of us has this potential to be deceived by sin and to default back into a mode of life that puts ourselves and our thinking ahead of what God would want. So this passage says this. It says we need to do this. Encourage one another daily. You might want to circle that in the verse or write that down in the point because that's really the key to this, this whole idea. Encourage one another daily. This is how we avoid the deceitfulness of sin that leads to a hardening of our heart. Interesting word, encouragement. In the Greek, there's different words that translate encouragement. This word is packed with meaning. It translates to, it can translate exhort or urge, but the literal, just the literal translation means to call alongside or to call beside. And, and it carries the idea of coming alongside someone and calling them forward. Okay? The picture of this, and I was reminded, I was having a conversation with a, with a guy who's a part of our church. You think he comes in the next service, but he's a runner. His name's Mark. He's a runner at CBU. He's a cross-country runner. And I asked him about what he enjoys about the sport, and we were talking a few weeks back. But he said something about, you know, a lot of people don't realize that cross-country is a team sport. And he just, you know, running sports just appear to me like individual sports, don't they? Um, you know, this is the thing you do. He says, no, that... that Actually, there's this team aspect, and that's what he really enjoyed about cross-country, is that when you're struggling, he says, your teammates in cross-country can come running alongside you, and they can run with you, and try to call you forward, keep encouraging you to press on. You know, And that's a really important picture for us, because there are times in our lives where we need that. In the Christian life, we need this because our hearts are so prone to wander, the deceitfulness of sin, it creeps in, it's in our blind side oftentimes. We don't even see it. Our heart starts hardening. We don't see it. We need someone to, to run up alongside us and say, hey, don't give up. It seems to me like you're struggling. You're slipping. It seems to me like your attitude is, is, is turning sour. It seems to me like you're hardening towards doing what you think or what we know God wants us to do. And I want to encourage you to, stop, to not stop. You know, when, if I'm a runner, I mean cross country, well, I wouldn't be... I, I just tell you right now, I would never do that because I can't. But I would be so tempted to stop because I'm, I'm, I run out of energy really quickly when I'm running. And so, but in the Christian life especially, there's these times where I just want to give up. I want to, it's not worth it. Or I want to give in to my old habits and patterns. And I need my friends, I need my brothers to come alongside me and say, hey, don't give up. Trust the Lord. And not just say, trust the Lord, but... You know, let's talk about this. Let's pray together. Let's, I want to strengthen you. I want to encourage you. This process can really help us from some of the damage that comes from the problems that ensue because of the hardening of our hearts. So Jesus says this in Luke 17, verse 3. He says, so watch yourselves. He tells the disciples, watch yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. We are to pay attention to the condition of each other's hearts. Again. Watch yourselves. He's talking to them as a group. Watch yourselves. And he's not saying, hey, you, watch out. He's saying, hey, all of you, watch yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. This is where we get the idea of correction from. If he repents, so if you, if you correct someone and he repents, he turns away from what he was doing, then he says, forgive him. So obviously in this situation, it's a relational conflict. Rather than just correcting and then hardening our hearts toward another person, we're to truly forgive, genuinely forgive, is what Jesus says. And to make it more emphasized in the very next verse, in verse 4, it's not on your screen, but it says, if he sins against you seven times in a day, 
and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, Jesus says, forgive him. We all find ourselves in situations where we need that from each other. We need to give that to each other. That's what makes us different than the world. It doesn't mean that in the world we don't struggle, that in the church we don't struggle with the same things that we struggle with before we maybe found Christ or before we began to learn of His ways. But the difference is we have a different way of moving forward than the world typically does. When relationships are broken, you cut them off typically in the world. The Scripture really pushes us to bear with, to work together, to press on. But we all find ourselves in situations on a regular basis where we see someone going wrong and we need to correct. Parents need to correct children. Bosses need to correct employees. Friends oftentimes need to correct friends. Group members need to correct group members. It doesn't need to be an ongoing, all-the-time thing, but this, the need for this comes up often. And you can probably think of a person right now. You can probably think of someone right now that you need to talk to. You know that they're hurting themselves over and over again, and they don't see it. It's because it's, it's in their blind side. So let's look at this. How do I approach correction? And you're probably wondering, how are we going to do this? It's almost time to finish, and he has barely started. So I don't know. We'll probably go late. I'm just going to warn you. How to approach correction. Number one, consider if correction is appropriate is the first thing. Consider if correction is even appropriate. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says, Paul says, And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle. Encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. So the idea here is, give the person at least the benefit enough to think through yourself whether or not this is really a correctable situation. Is this something that needs correction? And then also think about what's going on in their life. Who are they? What's going on in their life? What do they need in order to, to be called forward? If I'm going to if I'm going to run alongside them and call them forward in that same spirit of that verse, then what do they need? I really think about the whole per- picture, the whole person. There are three options in the verse. He says, "Warn the idle." The idle is people who are lazy, loafers, disorderly, rude. This this idea of they're just really falling off in obedience. He says, "Warn them. Give them a warning. Admonish. It's a strong word. Warn, admonish." He says, "Encourage the faint-hearted, the timid. This is what we talk about. You run alongside someone and you say, hey, keep going. I know you're struggling. Keep going. Keep going. We can do this together. We're in this together. I understand how you're feeling. Let's keep going. That's, that's a real help. Help the weak, he says. If they can't do it on their own, you help them. So when you're weak, you're unable to do it on your own. There are situations when we are all weak. We find that we really need the assistance. We don't always like to ask for help, but we all fall into this category at different points. Our children. Sometimes your, your kids are tired, and you're a parent and you recognize they're tired. They, it's past their bedtime. They're really struggling. And so they start whining and start disobeying. And the tendency is to just, to just go into discipline mode right away. To help them in this moment, to help the weak, is maybe to hold back on discipline and to get them to bed as soon as possible. That's really the idea. Is you think through what is it they need. Now, obviously, if they're causing you know, major ruckus, you, you, you stop the behavior, but you help the weak. They need to go to bed. That's a good example of this. Look at the, uh, the message. It's a paraphrase of the Bible. He says this, the same verse, Our counsel is that you warn the freeloaders to get a move on. Gently encourage the stragglers, reach out for the exhausted, pulling them to their feet. 
Be patient with each person, attentive to individual needs. You're just paying attention. What is it that they really need? One man said, if you only have a hammer, you tend to see every problem as a nail. And that's true. You know, wham, whack. You know, you start walking around slamming people. That's the first thing. Second thing here, as far as how to approach correction, aim to help them build a better future. This needs to be the goal of correction. It's for them. I love them. I'm aiming to help them build something for their future. Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself. There's a warning here. Watch yourself or you also may be tempted. So we're to be involved in repairing or mending or fixing up the problems people face, helping them get back together. Our goal shouldn't be to hurt people when we come alongside others and correct. It's never right to unload our frustrations and our irritations in anger. Our goal is not to, to be rude or to hurt. Our goal is to restore. So never think of correction like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back up my dump truck up to a person, and then I'm just going to let it go. Concrete comes down, they're buried, and we're out of there. <laughs> that's how we want to do it, and that's certainly how the world approaches this. But, but that, that is, we need to make sure that we can aim to, you know, we're aiming to be a help. Now, we don't always do this, but this, this ought to be our goal. Make sure that your aim is to help. Last phrase here in that verse is watch yourself. Jesus brings up something else that is really the third point. Third point is realize that you have problems of your own. If you'll keep this in your mind, then this will always help you when you need to correct. Realize that you have problems of your own. Matthew 7, verse 3 and 5. Very visual imagery Jesus gives. He says, why do you look, this is from Jesus, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? He's talking about you see a sin in their life, a small thing, but you pay no attention to this massive two-by-four. You're whacking people with, with all this stuff. They have this little thing, does a little bit of damage, but we're hitting people with the way we approach life. This big plank coming out of our eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's this plank in your own eye? He says, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye. Deal with your stuff first, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Before you approach someone, you always should take your own inventory. Again, this isn't something we always do, but this is something that we get from Scripture. The good question to ask is, are there ways that I've contributed to the problem? Have I had the same kind of problem? might want to jot these down. Are there ways that I've contributed or have I had the same kind of problem that I'm encouraging or that I want to address with them? Have I struggled in the same way? Do I currently struggle in the same way? See, what humility does is we take a lower position and it takes a loving approach. Identifying and understanding the person that we're talking to, it opens them up to really listen for really seeking to understand them. But if we have a conversation with a real judging tone, then they close up and, and you get very little. So be careful. Don't approach correction in a high and mighty, I've got it all together spirit, because if you do, the conversation is not going to be very helpful. It's just going to land like the dump truck on a person. This is not in your outline, but Romans 2.1, jot that down. Romans 2.1, chapter 2, verse 1 and verse 3 says this. Paul says, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge the other, 
you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Verse 3 says, So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them, and yet you do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Well, what a, again, what a really helpful verse for us as we consider correction. Approaching conversation, realizing in humility, I have problems of my own. And so before I correct to really go before God and to say, God, I need to confess some things to you. Before I go have this conversation that I really think needs to be given and needs to be had for their good and for their benefit, I want to get right before you. So I go before God and I confess whatever I know to be out of place. And in humility, I just open that up to some people for accountability. What that does is it keeps you from inviting God to give you a spanking of your own. Because what he's saying here is, when we start just hammering people, you're inviting God's judgment, especially if those things we're guilty of ourselves. So be very careful. Get confessed. Get clear before the Lord on, on, on your own life. Another thing often overlooked is this. Make sure that you know who you're talking or know what you're talking about. Make sure that the correction is accurate. Make sure you have a clear picture. Be sure to know your, what you're talking about. Proverbs 18:13. He who answers before listening, that is his folly and his shame. So pray over the matter. Don't fly off the handle. Don't, don't just go off. Give it time. Pray over the situation. Make sure you see what you see. Don't jump to conclusions. Start by asking questions like, can you help me what's going on? You know, can you help me what's actually going on here? Try to really understand. Ask good questions and then actually listen to how they respond. That avoids misguided correction. Number five. Before you correct, carefully think through what you're going to say. I botched this up many times. Just charge in, say something hurtful. My mentor, he, he always says this to, to me. Anytime you need to clear something up, he says, write it out. Write it out. Rehearse it. Because it's that important. You want it to come across with the right spirit. And if, if you just don't think through it, here's what happens. Proverbs 12:18. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise bring healing. If, if, reckless words are just when I don't think through it. It just it lands. It jabs. The English Standard Version, uh, it's a very literal translation of the Bible. It gives a very literal translation of the Hebrew, the original Hebrew. And it translates this way. It says, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. You know? It's not just a piercing, but the picture of it actually in the Hebrew, it has this idea of sword thrust. I mean, that's a little more than a pierce. You know, I, I picture pierce like, oh, I pierced my, my finger on the rose bush. Oh, my rash words aren't that hurtful. But I don't want to get thrust through with a sword. It's, it's a lot weightier. My mentor always says, write it out, write it out. I, I encourage you to try to identify the problem. Try to be specific. Give a, be careful with the examples you give. Another thing, number six, is correct patterns, not one-time incidents. Correct the pattern, not just the one-time offense. Don't, don't wear the badge of the Bible policeman or the moral mafia. I need, to, I need to be the one who's guarding the gates of this church. So I'll be the, I'll be the correction police. Don't go on a correction spree. <laughs> Think clearly about, is this a pattern or... Is this just a bad day? What's going on in their life? Try to really ask good questions. Can you imagine if every time you lied, your friends 
put on your Facebook wall? He's a liar. Don't believe anything he says. Every time you sinned, he's a sinner. Can you imagine? I mean, all of our little things being, I mean, for everything, I don't know how many times you sin every day. I sin a lot every day. So if, if, if everything I did were corrected, I'd crawl into a cave. Wouldn't, wouldn't you? I mean, I would just feel so defeated. Now, there's some things that are patterns in my life that are in my blind side that I need people to come alongside and say something to me about. And you do too. But correct patterns. Also, seventh, base your correction on Scripture, not personal opinion or preference. James 1.22 says, hold the Bible up. It's like a mirror. Use Scripture. Don't just base all your correction on opinion or your great ideas. I want to wrap up this morning by looking at how to take correction when it's given. The perspective of Scripture is this. Learn to love valid correction. Learn to love it. This is how you, you get the most out of correction is you learn to actually love it when it comes. King David said this, Let a righteous man strike me. It's a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It's oil on my head. My, my head will not refuse it. It's a very different perspective than we have here in America. When people say things like any kind of corrective comment to us, we typically want to strike back. But he says, I actually, it's a kindness when they rebuke me, when they, when they deliver correction. It's like oil on my head. I've never really desired oil on my head, honestly, but, but <laughs> he says, my head will not refuse it. You know, apparently it's a pleasant experience. Maybe you have experienced that. I don't know. But anyway, correction is not going to feel good. But he says, man, I've learned to love this. You have to understand when someone corrects you, they're taking a huge risk with you. They're taking a huge risk. And so they're coming to you and they really want to be a help. And so don't play games. We play a game with people when we think, well, they didn't say it the way I liked it, so I'm not going to listen. Or I don't like them. Or, you know, they should have waited till a better time. You know what? Maybe that's true. It's probably true. But, again, learn to love valid correction. The problem with any kind of thinking like that is that reality bites, it has fangs. If what they are saying is the truth and actually lines up with reality, then we need to try to get in line with what the truth is. Proverbs 19.20, listen to advice. Listen to advice and accept instruction. And in the end, you'll be wise. I want to show you, and I know we are running short on time. I want to show you a brief movie clip here. I think it's really appropriate. This is a, a clip where a mom gives her grown adult daughter some much-needed insight into how her selfishness is causing serious damage. Take a look. Wait! I need to talk to you privately, honey. Honey? No, Mother, I can't right now. I'm really late. I'm looking all over for you. Will you keep an eye on the kids? You've got my secret cell number, okay? Just give me a moment to talk here. What is it? Are you buzzed? No. I gave up drinking weeks ago. Yes? Nobody noticed, which shows I probably conducted myself pretty well as a drunk. But duty called, and I'm sober. So may I say just one thing? Yeah, my, yes, Mother, one thing. Go ahead. Thank you. Deborah, you are going to lose your husband if you don't stop what you are doing. And you will never find someone 
as good. They'll only be men who you know are cheap and shallow and have no real warmth in their souls. You may have gotten by on those surfaces once, but now you have been spoiled by a good man. If you do not act quickly, you will soon cement an awful fate for yourself, a life with no hope of, of repair, which has already begun to turn desperate and dumb. That's it. Oh. Drive carefully. Oh, it's out of coffee. It's over for me. Well, you've done it again, Mother. Made me hate myself. What are the things I can count on? Honey, lately your low self-esteem is just good common sense. clip it shows you can receive correction from whomever it comes from I mean this mom had not done everything right that yet she she saw something that was true in her daughter and she was really trying to be a help and a lot of times we don't receive correction because of who it is that delivers it or the manner they deliver it so four quick things about learning to love it first don't get defensive Proverbs 14 12 there's a way that seems right to man but in the end it leads to death don't think, stop the thoughts of how dare you say that to me, or who do you think you are. Stop yourself. All of us have a blind side. We have to remember, there is this stuff that is true about us that others see that we don't see. They may be saving your marriage. That person may be saving your life. That, may be, that person may be helping you build a future. You don't exactly know it, but don't get defensive. Second, stay calm. Explore and clarify. Proverbs 13.1, a wise son heeds his father's instruction, but a mocker does not listen to rebuke. So stay calm. Try to see the reality in the blur of all the emotions that you're feeling. Knowing what is real about yourself is far better than just fooling yourself, no matter how ugly it is and how much it hurts. Third thing, be grateful. Be grateful for the, for the rebuke. Proverbs 9.8, do not rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. Our response reveals who we are. Our response to correction reveals whether we're wise or we're a fool. Or in this case, he uses the term mocker, which is, a, is the base of all folly. Even if you disagree with the correction, take the time to listen. Take it before the Lord. Recognize the real risk that they took in approaching you. And express appreciation to them. Thank you. I don't see that right now, but thank you. I'm going to seriously take that before God. I'm going to... I'm going to consider what you brought up. If you just say, I completely disagree, you're way off. What you've done is you've shut off the flow of correction from others. And nearly no one will take the risk in your life. If the word gets out that he's not really approachable, she's not really approachable, you cut off the flow of wisdom in this whole area, which is a life-saving tool in our lives because of our blind side. Fourth and last Follow through. Follow through with the correction. If there's something to be done, Proverbs 10:17 says, He who heeds discipline shows the way to life, but whoever ignores correction leads others astray. If you've been blowing it and you know it, if, you, if there's a legitimate thing that's been brought up, 
take it before the God and admit before God and admit it. This only leads to your credibility. It only increases people's respect for you. Make it right. When people point stuff out, make it right. Ask forgiveness. Take the next step. Then take the next step and keep taking steps forward. Learn to heed legitimate correction. Just keep following through, learning and growing. Sometimes we don't even see the point of correction for years. And then later we go, wow, God was really trying to do something. I want to invite the band to come up. So, hard attitude three. That's hard attitude three. Give and receive scriptural correction. It's one that... It's one way that we really show that we love one another is we say, hey, I I have your back. I've got your back. In just a moment, we're going to be receiving our offering. I want to thank you for your faithful and generous giving. It is what allows us to do everything that we do as a church. We're not supported by any outside entity. We're a member-supported church. And so here are some steps you can take on your next steps on the back in response to this message. First, you might memorize Proverbs 19.20, or maybe you need to pray through a correction you're facing there's a list of verses you can read to do some further Bible study related to the consequences of ignoring correction. Or last, just committing to learn how to appreciate correction in your life. I'd like to lead us in prayer as we respond and before we receive the offering. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives and how you've worked, God, to bring us to this point to have an opportunity and for many to be at the edge of tremendous growth in our lives if we will engage others personally, if we'll allow others to get close enough to us to have enough trust to where we can speak into people's lives and they can speak into ours. Lord, that's not something that we just grant to people blindly, but it's something we grant to people that we believe love us. And so, God, I pray that for those that want to relate at that level, in that way, I pray that that this would be a building pattern that you grow in our lives, that we would give and receive scriptural correction. Thank you that you are almighty God. You're in charge of all the affairs of this universe. You run the show. And so, God, we just, right now, we bow in in surrender to you. Just pray that each day, including today, God, we would live in a way that pleases you. God, I also just lift up the offering. I pray that as we work together to further your kingdom and advance your kingdom cause and as we continue to try to reach people in this area and even abroad lord i pray you would um, use us collectively as the way we steward the resources you've entrusted to us help us to be faithful god and um, lord we pray you continue to do your work here through us it's in jesus name we pray amen Before we receive the offering, I wanted to make two quick announcements. Um, I made these announcements um, at a meeting yesterday of our membership, but I wanted to also announce this here. Um, We've we've been, as a church, in the past, I guess, um, it's been about a year and a half. We multiplied to two services about a year and a half ago, and we've really seen God bless that. And we've seen a lot of growth in our church, and we recognize that we hit a point where the growth was causing more than our current structure could support. Bruce and I have been the two full-time staff members, and we have three part-time staff members that the church employs. So there's five of us total employees. But the growth of the church and the needs of the church really it hit a point where there's just not enough to, of our staff to get things done. And so we needed to make some changes. So last January, we began praying about a solution, and we, um, we've been just kind of waiting see how the church finances were going and so um, Cody is actually coming on full-time 
um, starting next Sunday. He's part. He's been part time for the last four and a half years, and um, he quit his job, and he's coming on full time next Sunday. So isn't that awesome news? So, and he's going to be responsible for a variety of things, events. Um, he's going to help head up the team that will lead our youth ministry. He's going to help provide a lot of additional organization to the way we approach counseling and care and just organizing our lay counselors and then along with leading our worship and our band. And so, and then one other uh, change we've made is that Bruce Wood, who has been on staff full-time uh, for the past couple of years, is now our associate pastor. And so that's another big news I want to tell you all about. So, And he is um, he's going to be taking uh, less of a role in administration, more of a role towards the guest experience, our assimilation, which is our helping people plug into church life, leading the effort in a lot of the classes that we do, um, and then managing a lot, still managing the office uh, affairs. And so just want to let you know about that. Be praying for them. Be praying for their families. And we could not do any of that um, without the giving that we've seen just just really stabilize and grow and be faithful. And so thank you for that. Our ushers are going to receive the offering. Make sure when they pass the baskets around that you drop your connection card in there. And uh, I want to thank you for worshiping with us. We'll continue in worship. You guys can go ahead and receive the offering. And Cody's going to lead us in one final song as soon as the ushers are through.